it's always great to discover where the, where the gifts are and invite people to share them in new ways. So here we are on the third Sunday of Advent, and does anybody know how many days there are till Christmas? You don't want to know, right? Eleven! Eleven days until Christmas, and I guarantee the children, if they were in this room, they would be able to tell us, because they are counting down the days. So on this third Sunday of Advent, we have lit the candle of joy. It is a long, long tradition that the third Sunday of Advent is a Sunday for celebrating the gift of joy. And I can't tell you exactly how far back that goes, but very early, uh, when the liturgical year was coming together, uh, probably long before there was such a thing as an Advent wreath in worship, uh, there was a name for this Sunday, and it was called Gaudete Sunday. That's a Latin term, and Latin for the phrase uh, rejoice. Gaudete in Domino, which were the first words of the traditional Latin mass, which meant rejoice in the Lord. So Gaudete, you learned a new word, say it. Gaudete. Today we would say the Sunday of joy. Gaudete Sunday, rejoice in the Lord. And so we're on a journey, and it's a journey of waiting, but not a sit back and wait kind of waiting, not a wait and see what happens kind of waiting, but a waiting like you're on the edge of your seat, expecting something, actively, alertly waiting and responding to where we see God moving in our midst. That's the journey that we're on today. So when you think about the word joy, our word for today, what comes to mind? The kids gave us a little head start in thinking about that today. What do you think about when you think about joy? Laughter. Laughter. Hey, that's great. What else? Friends. Friends. Inner contentment without, with whatever the circumstances. Whatever's going on in life, inner contentment. That's a great, that's a great phrase. Enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. Bliss. So joy is a concept that the author C.S. Lewis spent quite a lot of time uh, thinking about. In fact, when he wrote his earliest memoirs, the story of his early formative years, in which he tells the story of his sort of growing up in a family where there was some, uh, at least nominal, nominally a family of faith, but then embracing atheism, and then later on uh, undertaking a journey which led him to deep faith in Christ. This is the story that he tells in his memoirs called Surprised by Joy. He talks about some concepts of joy as he understood it. And I wanted to share them with you. The first one is that joy often surprises. Anyone ever been surprised by joy? What he meant was you can't plan for joy. You can't predict where it's going to pop up. You can't program it. You can't coerce it. You can't capture it. You can't control it. We can't manufacture joy. We can't experience joy with the turning on or off of a switch like we do the lights. Joy sometimes pops up in surprising places where we least expect it. It operates on its own timetable. And that's because it's a gift. Secondly, he says that joy is different from pleasure, happiness, fun, or excitement. 
Now that was a concept a little too deep than I wanted to explore with the children this morning. <laughs> because very often in life, as children, but even as we get older, we conflate the concepts of joy and happiness as if they're the same thing. And guess what? They're not. So Bob, say, say again your definition. Uh, inner contentment, whatever the circumstances. Whatever the circumstances, inner contentment. It's different from pleasure, happiness, fun, or excitement. We all have times when we're happy, and here's the thing about happiness. Happiness is usually conditional upon some experience we're having, right? I'm going shopping with friends, or I'm playing a game, or I'm uh, watching the Patriots game and they're winning. I'm doing something that I really enjoy doing, and that's bringing me happiness. And there's nothing wrong with happiness, right? We all want to experience it. But that is not the same as joy, because joy is not conditional. Remember, it's, we're often surprised by it. It can pop up in the most surprising places. Joy is not conditional upon whatever it is we're experiencing. Which leads to the third one, and that is that joy can coexist with pain. Anybody ever experienced joy at a funeral? Even the funeral for someone that you love incredibly deeply and miss profoundly? Yeah, see, because joy can coexist with pain. The fact that we have the capacity to experience both deep joy and profound sadness at the same time, that is one of the things that distinguishes us as human beings, right? Joy can coexist with pain. In fact, I think it often does. You know the life lessons that we have to go through that are not ones that we would choose? that are downright painful and miserable, and if we could do anything to get out of them, we would. And yet at the same time, we can experience joy in the midst of that, the messiness of it. Because it's different from pleasure, happiness, fun, or excitement. So hold on to those three concepts. Joy surprises us. It's different from those other things. It can coexist with pain. Let's listen to today's scripture reading, which is coming to us from the first chapter of Luke. This is the story of Mary learning that she is to be the mother of God's son. Did you ever stop to wonder what Mary must have experienced in that moment? I mean, Mary probably understood number three very well, right? That joy can coexist with pain. So let's listen to those words and kind of try to put yourself in Mary's shoes when she is visited by an angel. What does the angel say to her? The first words? Afraid. Don't be afraid. Because when an angel shows up, it's kind of scary. <laughs> right? The angels, when they appear to people in the Bible or messengers, they almost always start with the words, do not be afraid. Because they often bring a message that's maybe a little bit on the scary side. So we know how that story goes at the beginning. The angel appears to her and she says, you're going to... A bear's son, and his name is going to be called Emmanuel. And she says, how can this be? I am a virgin. And he tells her the details about how the Holy Spirit will come upon her, and she will be blessed. Uh, and then tells her also that her, her elderly cousin Elizabeth has conceived a child also. And so I'm going to pick up actually with verse 39. The angel departed from her and leaves her with that news. Now she's probably feeling What? Terrified, shocked, 
Bewildered. Bewildered, yes, I think that's actually one of the words. Mary was, actually, Mary was much perplexed by these words <laughs> and pondered what sort of reading this might be. I love that one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. The greatest understatement ever found in Scripture. What's the, uh, what happens to a woman in this time period if you are expecting and you are not married? Stoning. Stoning. The prescribed punishment was stoning. So it isn't just that Mary's wondering how she's going to make this work. It's actually that she's fearing for her life. Right? Will anyone believe me? Will Joseph believe me? How am I going to, how is this going to happen? Am I going to survive to tell about it? In those days, Mary set out and went with haste. And you would too, right? You would leave town quickly. To a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, her elderly cousin. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. So see, already there's something different about Jesus. I love that we have these details. Elizabeth also is experiencing something of a miracle because she's elderly, she's never been able to have children, and she is also expecting. And when Mary walks through the door, the child is doing cartwheels in there. Like, this is, this is not just your average baby kicking. This is serious leaping for joy in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And then Mary sings. She sings a song of praise. We call this the Magnificat. That word Magnificat Latin, I think. Is it Latin? Thank you. I knew I could, I was kind of one of my retired pastors to fill in the gaps and I don't have all the details. Latin, for the first words of this song, my soul magnifies or glorifies the Lord. Mary sings a lullaby, right? Wrong. It is not a lullaby. Listen to these words that she sings. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on me, on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. And lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promises he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth, about three months and then returned to her home. One of my favorite authors, Episcopal priest, Barbara Brown Taylor, has written a reflection on this story. And I've actually shared these words before, but it was a five or six years ago, and I thought, well, number one, most of you weren't even around then. Uh -huh. And number two, they're so good that they're worth repeating. 
So this is a reflection that she wrote that's actually entitled the same as C.S. Lewis's memoir, Surprised by Joy. And here's what she says. She starts with a story. When I was in Memphis last spring, a friend told me about a big black Pentecostal church she had visited on Sunday, where the preacher, a lay minister who worked with inner city kids, got so full of the Holy Spirit that while she was preaching, she still had some leftover when she got done, so she just stepped out of the pulpit and twirled around a couple of times on the red pump carpet, pumping her arms and shouting, Yes, Lord! Woohoo! Amen! I think about that, she says, and I get sad. Because there seems to be a real shortage of joy these days. I don't see a lot of people twirling around in church or anywhere else for that matter, and I think I know why. It's too revealing for one thing. And it can be embarrassing to watch. I remember walking past a big downtown water fountain with a grown-up friend of mine a number of years ago. We were right in the middle of the plaza at Georgia State University with students sitting all over the place. It was one of the first days of spring, the sun was shining, the pigeons were flapping in the sky overhead. We were talking about something very adult, when all of a sudden my friend just snapped. He ran over to the water fountain, plunged his hands into it, and drenched himself. Then he ran back to me, squealing like a five-year-old, and put his cold, wet hands on either side of my face. I was appalled. Appalled, absolutely. Everyone was staring. And I'll tell you the worst part. The worst part was I wanted to throw a scarf over his head because his face was so completely open, so utterly defenseless, that I could hardly stand to look at him. I didn't say it, but I thought to myself, for heaven's sake, man, get hold of yourself. You've got to learn to protect yourself better than that. Think what could happen to you if you walked around letting everyone see who you are like that. You could get hurt. You could scare someone. And now, all these years later, I wish I could find him and tell him that he was right and I was wrong. So that's part of it, the self-exposure. The other part is that joy seems almost irreverent in a world where so much is going wrong. Who can be joyful while babies starve and teenagers shoot each other and whole tribes of people try to wipe each other off the face of the earth? It's hard to get jump up and down joyful about any of that. Only joy has never had very much to do with what is going on in the world at the time. This is what makes it different from happiness or pleasure or fun. All of those depend on positive conditions, good health, good job, happy family, lots of toys. The only condition for joy is the presence of God. Joy happens when God is present and people know it, which means that it can erupt in a depressed economy, in the middle of a war, in an intensive care For Mary, it erupted when she arrived, pregnant and unwed, at her cousin Elizabeth's door. Whatever it was she expected, an ebullient blessing was what she got. 
Elizabeth's excitement ignited Mary's, and Mary started singing in the hallway before she'd even taken her coat off. She started praising God for turning the world upside down, for looking with favor on her, a nobody from nowhere, for bringing down the powerful and lifting up the lowly, for filling the hungry and sending the rich away empty. We call it the Magnificat, one of the earliest hymns of the church. When God is present, doing God's stuff, people cannot seem to contain themselves. They sing and dance, they open their mouths and poetry falls out. They drop what they're doing and rejoice right where they are, no matter who's watching. It is a moment marked above all by that jumping up and down joy that is the surest sign of the presence of God. In her pain and in her joy, Mary sings a song of praise to God that celebrates the way that, that God is turning the world upside down, right? The way that God is humbling the proud, and striking down the powerful, lifting up the lowly, filling the hungry, sending the rich away. See, this is the great reversal. God is turning the world upside down. And Mary, carrying the mother of, carrying the Son of God, is a part of that. And even in her incredible pain and fear, she knows it. This is a revolutionary song. Mary sing. It's revolutionary. In fact, in the 1980s, believe it or not, the Guatemalan government forbid the public reading of the Magnificat. And they're not the first government through history that has done that. Why would any government forbid the public reading of these words from Scripture? Any ideas? Because it's going to turn things upside down. Because the poor and oppressed people of Guatemala were finding hope and strength in the words of Mary. And it was inciting a revolution. They were seeing in these words that God might actually have a preference for the poor. And God might actually have a preference for strengthening the powerless. And that they could do something about that. And so these words throughout history at different times have been forbidden to be read publicly, which is all the more reason why we should be reading them more often, right? Because God wants us to be seeking justice and compassion and peace in the world. Over the last couple of weeks, we have reflected on some really challenging things. We've, re we've reflected on systemic racism in so many places where it exists. And celebrating the movement that is happening in places like D.C. and New York and all over the country where people are realizing the pain and violence of racism and actually doing something about it. And I can imagine Mary applauding because this is her song. Today is actually the second anniversary of the terrible gun violence tragedy in Newtown, Connecticut. Do you remember that day? December 14th. 2012, two years ago today, when Adam Lanza shot his mother at home and then went to Sandy Hook Elementary School, where he took the lives of 20 children and six teachers and staff members before killing himself. And so we think about the violence in 
our country and commit ourselves to doing something about it. And I can imagine Mary applauding because this is her song that we're singing. And it raises the question, how can we talk about joy when there is so much pain and violence and suffering in the world? How can we talk about joy? Maybe the better question is, how can we not talk about joy, right? How can we not talk about joy? Because the only condition for joy is the presence of God. Is God present in the midst of suffering and pain and violence? Absolutely. This is the message of Advent, that Christ comes to us as Emmanuel, God with us. Is that just with us when life is going well and everything is smooth sailing? Of course not. Maybe especially not. God is with us in the midst of the pain and the suffering and the violence of the world. Someone has said, many people have said actually, that the message of Jesus, the gospel, that's hard to read, it's written in chalk on the sidewalk. The message of the gospel is meant to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Both at the same time. It wasn't Dorothy Day who said it first. It's been said by many different people. I googled it, I found like 12 different people who were attributed to <laughs> Some in this room are afflicted, struggling with some incredibly painful, difficult things. And what you need most is comfort. And the message of Jesus is one that brings comfort. Some in this room, many of us, are comfortable, maybe too comfortable. And the message of Jesus ought to kick us right out of our comfort zones, right? And make us squirm and make us seek something that is not yet. And most of us are both at the same time a little bit comfortable and a little bit afflicted. afflicted. And we find exactly what we need in the gospel. Emmanuel, God with us. I want to conclude with a few more words from Barbara Brown Taylor who says, joy doesn't happen when we get what we want. Did Mary want what happened to her? It is much more likely to happen when we do not get what we want and we find ourselves laughing instead of crying because God's ideas are so much better than ours. Only we have a hard time seeing that until our own wishes have crashed and burned. Anyone ever find your own wishes crashing and burning? And then find yourself laughing instead of crying? It is there in that wilderness, that empty-handed, I give up surrender, that joy is most likely to occur. Don't ask me why, it just does. And that is how you know that God is present. Because no one else knows how to make life out of death. No one else knows how to come into a dark room and turn on all the lights, surprising everyone inside with the last thing anyone ever expected pure, unkillable joy. It is a gift. So all we really can do is want it, believe in it, 
and ODS, stop doing the things that get in its way. So as we continue through this season of Advent, let's sing with Mary. Let's open our hearts to receive the gift of joy, not because life is perfect, but because life is a mess. And there's joy in the midst of it anyway, because God is And so we join with people of generations and generations and generations before us in singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel.